And so the Apostle Paul writes a letter, and he says to the church at Thessalonica, hey, look, you got to get on with, the, with this business of encouraging one another and building them up. And don't be slow about it. Make this a priority to encourage and build one another up. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Today we wrap up a series of messages titled, Better Together, The One Anothers of the New Testament. Now, one another implies caring involvement among those in the body of Christ. It's a very important aspect of the Christian life. So far in our series, we've looked at loving one another, forgiving one another, clothing ourselves in humility toward one another, bearing one another's burdens, and today, why we're to encourage and build up one another. If you're new to our program, Crawford has served in teaching, mentoring, and pastoral roles for over 48 years. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and A Passionate Commitment. Today, Crawford serves as president of Beyond Our Generation, a leadership mentoring ministry. Well, the Apostle Paul has a clear message for us today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. By the way, let me take the last line just as you are doing. You'll discover as you read the, the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, that most of these letters were written to correct some stuff. You know, there's some issues going on. And, and so the Apostle Paul writes a letter, and usually there's some correction about some either doctrinal hiccups that's going on or relational problems that are taking place or somebody's in sin that's not being dealt with, all kinds, a plethora of those things. But the book of 1 Thessalonians, is, there's, it wasn't written for that. There's no problem at this. I mean, it has a problem, but they, they, they were growing and they were mature. And Paul writes them just to encourage them and say, hey, look, whatever y'all are doing, just keep doing it. It's good stuff. And so when he says, just as you are doing, he's saying well, there is encouragement in this church and you are building up one another. But he wants them to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I ask a rhetorical question. Have you come across people? Are there people in your circle who have gotten the wind knocked out of them? Who are discouraged? Their shoulders are slumped. You know of anybody like that? Have you been there? If you're older than three years old, you've been there. You know, you, you, you get one text message, one phone call, one email. Before you know it, things are, oh, my goodness. Do you know anybody in your circle who's, uh, who's stuck? Stuck spiritually. And you scratch your head, you say, this person knows all of this Bible. They've been exposed to all of this stuff. They've been through all of this stuff. You know, they've got gifts and talents and abilities. You ever, you ever look at people and you say, man, how come you're not getting off the dime, man? You got all of this stuff working in your life. You got these abilities, these talents, you got this content, you got this Bible and stuff. And why are you stuck? You know anybody that needs to be built up? Encouraged. Let me just say a word here as to why Paul drops this in here. What's going on in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians? Um, uh, in the beginning of chapter 4, Paul picks up his pen and he writes them because... Uh, and he says that, you know, I understand some of you all are concerned about 
believers, followers of Jesus who have died, who have fallen asleep. That's not literal sleep, that they, they've died. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, then he talks about the rapture of the church and Christ coming back and that the, that the, the church will be taken out of the world and, and, and that, that, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to rise first and then we will be caught up in the air with them. So he's talking about this imminent event that could happen before I finish the next sentence, by the way. But then he also talks about in the beginning of chapter five, he talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord there typically has to do with judgment that is coming. And so sandwiched in between that is where we are right now. And he says to the, he says to the church at Thessalonica, hey, look, in the meantime, in the meantime, you, you got to get on with, the, with this business of encouraging one another and building them up. And don't be slow about it. Because you don't know when he's coming back. Make this a priority to encourage and build one another up. Now, you know, my outline's pretty simple. Uh, you know, don't try to get fancy when the text is clear. So the outline is right in the passage here. The first word is encourage. Encourage one another. What, what does he mean? What does he mean by encourage one another? The Greek word that's translated encourage here is very interesting. It's the Greek word, now hang in there, parakaleo. Why is that so significant? Well, it is the same word that's used over in John chapter 14, verse 16 of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus says, I'm going to send to you, and it's translated, another comforter. The word comforter is the same Greek word, parakaleo, parakaleo. Para, alongside of. Kaleo, we get the English transliteration, call from that. One who's called alongside of. And I think there's an interesting insight if you go back to see how it was used of the Holy Spirit that it was the, who was to come. Parakaleo, parakaleo, another comforter, one who's called alongside of. What is his role to empower and encourage and strengthen us? So in this text, Paul is saying that to encourage someone is to do the same thing. To come alongside of them. To pour strength into them. Etymologically speaking, the word encourage from the, from the English means what it said. Means to, means to put courage into. To put courage into people. Yeah, yeah, you pray for them, but you're close to them. You come alongside and you pour, you pour strength into them. And so it's the idea of coming alongside of one another and exhorting them to be of not only good heart, but of good courage, to be of good, good courage. Who in your circle needs encouragement? It can be argued if you're breathing, you need encouragement. Who can you come alongside of and, and, grant, and grant hope. I want to lump three words. There are three words here that I've chosen. One specifically, they all come under the banner of discouragement. One, one specifically is the word itself, discouraged, discouraged. And what do you do when someone is discouraged? Well, you want to give them courage. You want to give them courage. Now, this is not false bravado here, and this is not just empty motivational speech and this kind of thing where you give them a bunch of 
airhead uh, promises that have no rootedness in reality, but you want to give them courage. The second word associated with discouragement, it's not the same thing as discouragement, is the word disappointment. Disappointment. When someone is disappointed, what you want to do is give them hope. You want to give them hope. And the third word is the word dismayed. It's an old English word to be not dismayed. What does it mean to be dismayed? It means that the joy has been sucked out of you. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do when someone is, 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 is dismayed? The joy has been drained from them. Well, obviously, you want to feed their joy. You want to come alongside of them and feed their joy and, and, and help them to focus on. And by the way, I've said this up here a number of times. Um, I, you know, I think sometimes we make an artificial distinction between joy and happiness because, frankly, in the Bible, those concepts are used interchangeably. The Beatitudes, for example, the word blessed there is makarios, and the word makarios means happy. So sometimes they're used interchangeably. We say joy, has to, uh, happiness has to do with circumstance. But, uh, but, but joy, I would say, in the scriptures has to do with, with that which cannot be affected. It is that which cannot be changed. And so when you come alongside of someone who has lost their joy, you want to help them to focus on that which cannot be changed. Who can separate us from the love of God? That, that permanent stuff in their hearts and lives. And so we want to encourage people, we want to come alongside of them to do that. We should encourage people, by the way, even, even when we criticize and correct them. Criticism is not necessarily discouragement. Correction is not necessarily discouragement. It's immature for you to think that way or for me to think that way. To hear bad news is not necessarily discouragement. Now, I think when we criticize someone, here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. If you have a critique or you have a correction to make, you can make that very encouraging. And the way that you do it, and this a mentor told me this many, many, many years ago, and I try to do this. If I've got to write a hard email about something that I don't like or something that is wrong or something that needs to be corrected, if I have to sit down and have a hard conversation, I think about what this mentor told me. I remember the line, don't ever criticize without giving options. Don't ever critique without giving possible solutions. Don't ever confront without also helping to show people a path forward. You're not there to beat people up or to vent because you're ticked off. Even critique and criticism can be, can be ultimately, you don't like it at the moment, but ultimately can be encouraging because you want to point them to the right direction. So encouragement is not just happy talk all the time. That's what I'm talking about here. Encouragement is not just empty words all the time. You want to encourage people to be the very best that they possibly can be. You want to help them to get to a place that they've, uh, they've not been before. Now, let me, give you a, let me give you an illustration, an Old Testament illustration of encouragement. The book of Nehemiah actually is, is really, you could say, it's, it, the whole book is about encouragement. 
We say the book of Nehemiah is about, you know, uh, Nehemiah going back and the Jews doing an incredible thing, building, rebuilding the wall. I would suggest to you that the challenge to rebuild the wall was just a facilitating process for rebuilding the people. The second word here in this passage is build. Build up one another. Build up one another. The word is oikotomio, oikotomio. What does that mean? Well, that word was primarily, when it built, it was primarily used to refer to increasing the potential of someone with a focus on the process involved. Uh, some, some places it's, it's translated edify, as in an edifice. It's a structural term that you want to build people up. Uh, you want to encourage them to keep moving, but you want to strengthen them. You want to build them up. And again, it gets back to the question that I, read, or I raised earlier. Who around me is stuck and needs to be strengthened and motivated? Who around me is stuck and needs to be strengthened and motivated? See, the vision is Christ-likeness. That's what he's talking about, building people up. It really is a discipleship term. You're wanting people around you to be, you love them so much, you want them to be all that God intends for them to be. Perhaps they've gotten a little bit spiritually lazy. And again, he's giving this in the context of urgency. He can come back at any moment. And so he says, our role as members of the body of Christ is not to be passive toward one another. Now, there's a balance here. No, we're, we're not responsible for someone else's walk with God. But what we can do is love and challenge and put before them and remind one another that, that we, we can do more. We can do better. And the building up of one another, yes, it's positive statements. Don't get me wrong that we speak to one another. But it's more than positive statements. Sometimes the building up of one another is rebuking each other. So how do we approach strengthening one another? That's, that's the idea. How do we approach that? And I want to give you three words. The first word is awareness. Awareness. Meaning discernment here. Discern the opportunities and the weaknesses, not only of your life, but the people in your inner circle. Uh, this is not being a negative person here, but it, it comes to mind. Uh, and the, the, the second word is, is attitude. How do we address these things? Do we come across as if we're the fourth members of the Trinity? Do we come across as if we've arrived? Do we come across as if, you know, we're the standard and this kind of thing? No, nah, uh, that's no, no. That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about people who have, have attitudes that are faith-filled. And we use faith-filled words. We want to communicate love and a vision for who and what that person can be. And we ought to model that to them, that we are teachable ourselves. And we invite that. We want to be everything that God wants us to be. And people respond to that. And then the third word is action. Awareness, discernment. Attitude, faithful words. Action, that means to invest. Give them what they need to be more like Jesus. Resource them. Come alongside. Help them to get over hurdles. This is the hard work and the detailed work of discipleship. Let me give you a New Testament illustration of this. 
Actually, actually, it's the books of First and Second Timothy. One of the things I tell younger leaders sometimes when I you know, have mentoring relationships with them and is that one of the assignments that I give them is that I want you to sit down and read First and Second Timothy in one sitting. You're struck with the realization that the Paul is reaching out and grabbing this young man, Timothy, that he sees all of this potential and all of this promise in him and all the things that he could be. And what Paul is doing is that he's building him up. Uh, in fact, I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm just going to summarize these things. But 1 Timothy chapter 4 is, is an illustration. And actually, verses 11 through 16, Paul gives uh, in rapid fire, rapid fire, four charges to Timothy. Beginning at verse 11, he says, Okay, Timothy, command and teach these things. And then verse 12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and faith, in love and faith and purity. The first charge that he says to Timothy, he said, hey, look, number one, stop being so preoccupied with your relative youthfulness. You ain't the only young man that's had responsibility and leadership. Okay, you're young. You're the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Everybody else is older than you. And it's almost as if Paul would say, okay, get over that. What are you going to do? You're going to cower in the corner, let them beat you up, or are you going to exercise your God-given calling and your authority as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and are you going to lead the people? So as he said, don't let them look down on you. Uh, in other words, and I have said this, and this may sound unkind, I've told people all the time, people will treat you the way you let them treat you. That's right. People will treat you the way you let them treat you. And Paul is saying that to Timothy in so many words, don't let them treat you that way. What do you mean don't let, don't let them treat you that way? Nothing's stopping you from being an example. So he's building him up. He's pushing him. The second charge that he gives him is found, found in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. What he's saying is focus on God's word. That's your calling card, buddy. Focus on his word. Don't listen to all this ancillary stuff. People always have opinions. They're going to have insights as to what you're doing and what you're not doing. How come you wore that? How come you phrased that? I thought you meant that. They're going to hear all of that stuff, okay? Let it go. Let it go. Focus on the book, buddy. Stay here in the book. I'm building you, man. This is, this is the lane. The third charge that he gives to Timothy. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given, to, given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Give yourself to what God gave you to work with. Don't neglect it. Give yourself to it. That's what God's going to use. Your background, your gifts, your experiences, all of that. And when he says that was given to you by the laying on the hands by the council, that's to be interpreted that that's, we recognize those things in you. Take confidence in that. Don't get confused. You focus on what God gave you to work with. Know the lane that you're in. Help people understand. You have these gifts. You have this ability. Ride that bicycle as fast as you possibly can. No, it may not be a 10-speed. might be a 3-speed. might be 2.5. But you use those gears, Jack. Get after it. And the fourth and the final charge that he gives to Timothy, he's building him up. You see what he's saying? He's building him up. 
It's found here in verses 15 and 16. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. You, you see the intentionality here? You see it? Paul says, major on this. Major on this. Forget this, 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 this. Immerse yourself into it. Stop chasing rabbits so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Basically, it's a summary statement. He says, Timothy, your progress will be the result of your focused attention on spiritual maturity and your ministry. Nobody can, can stop you from being aggressively godly. Who's stopping you from doing that, buddy? If you pursue that, if you do and use what God gave you to work with, Katie, bar the door. You see what Paul's doing? He loves him so much that he's not going to let him take his settle for C minus. He's not going to let him mail it in. He's building him up. And that's what we need to do with one another. I mean, I, I, I've had people get into my grill all the way through my development. As long as you're living, you're not beyond correction or development. And if you are, then God can't use you. We all need to be built up. Well, as I land a plane, let me just give you four words to keep in mind. The first word is proximity. You can't do this stuff from a distance. You just can't do it. This is, this is not from a distance, okay? You, you gotta, there's got to be proximity. We're talking about relationship here. The second word is involvement. We have to be involved in one another's lives. I didn't say running one another's lives. And access is given as a result of trust, by the way. The third word is time. We need to build into our lives margin enough for us to have, be able to give people time. And the fourth word is courage. It takes courage to encourage. And, but we have to ask the Lord to help us. Aren't you glad for Jesus though? Our Savior transforms us and he gives us the power to do these things. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. Proximity, involvement, time, and courage. Four things we must put into practice in order to encourage and build up one another. And with that, we wrap up Crawford's series, Better Together, the One Anothers of the New Testament. If this series has been helpful, would you please take a moment to let us know? You would actually be helping to encourage and build up this weekly broadcast. The simplest way to connect with us is through our website. Just go to livingalegacy.org, look for the contact link, put a few sentences in the message box, and hit submit. That's all there is to it. Or to email your thoughts, find the email address listed there on the website. I do want to point out once again that your comments and financial support help ensure that this program continues to have a place on this station's program schedule, as well as online. Here's our website again, livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us today. 
This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.